Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is D3 school. We were D3 school when we were Harper College. If this guy had coached at Harper, I'd have blown my brains out. You know, I, I mean, he, and then he's playing FAU. Um, FAU is in Boca Raton. Uh, this is the last place you'd ever think to be a college. Who's going to college in Boca? Stop. Everybody in Boca Raton is my age. Nobody's going to college there. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. All righty then. We're going to have Richard Justice on in a little while, and he's going to talk, among other things, about the World Baseball Classic. Phillies played pretty well in it. It 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 ended in, in the perfect way. Trey Turner. Oh, it was it was as if they Trey said Trey Turner hit another one last night. Yeah. yeah, Trey Turner five home runs in seven games. He's ready for the season. Five home runs, eleven RBIs in seven games. Trey Turner. And, and it's almost like the rules have shifted so that he can I don't know pile up a lot of steals. Phillies and change games. Phillies going to be great. And Harper doesn't even have to play. But that the uh, ending last night it was it was the script. He's like, what are we doing? Oh yeah, that's right. Otani. Either way it ends, it ends great. Yeah. I mean, either way. But you see it innings before we go, it's actually lining up where it could be Otani Trout. <laughs> right. Yeah. So if uh, I don't know. I, I guess Otani had to go to the owner and say, if it works out this way, can can I pitch, right? I mean, you owe it to the owner. It's Artie Moreno. You owe it to him to find out what your limits are. Because if you notice, I'll get into this with Richie. The United States didn't have any of the top pitchers that they have in the majors. Right. They right. had the top you get all hitters. The they had all the hitters, and they should have won because they had all the hitters, but they didn't have the pitchers. So, But then you uh, have to consider what that showcase would do for a potential trade this summer. Well, the Mets are certainly looking for somebody now. Maybe they can get Otani. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's the greatest baseball games. player ever. It's hard to argue Wilbon's that. position that he has to still give up pitching is so crazy. He's just, he's, he's the unicorn. Yeah. He is. Really is. Babe Ruth did it for a year, two years at the most. Otani's going to do it his whole career. Look at this kid. Great. Okay. Uh, a couple of emails, and then I have to talk about Willis Reed, as you all expect. This is from Tony Ann Maynard in South Burlington, Vermont. A few weeks ago, I received a message from my husband, Israel Maynard. It read, quote, my perfect foursome would be Tony, Michael, me, and Teddy, our 16-year-old son. I would like to invite you both to be his guest at Burlington Country Club this summer. Burlington, I believe, is where the University of Vermont is. Yes. Right? It's in Burlington. We will take care of airfare and dinner for you both, if this sweetens the pot at all. We are good friends with Coach Becker from the University of Vermont. As long as he's in town, I bet we can get him to join us for dinner. So what do you say? I'd be the best wife ever for this amazing birthday gift. Thank you for all the hours of laughs you have given us over the years. LaCheeserie, Tony Ann, born and raised in Islip in Huntington. That's on Long Island. We have played in Vermont. A beautiful. Short, yeah, we, short window for a season. Yes. Yeah, yeah. From July 30th to August 2nd. <laughs> One of the coldest snows. summer rounds I've ever heard. Yeah. We yeah. played all the way up near the Canadian border. And then we played at the Equinox um, at Stephen Anita's area. And then I think we played at the mountain where they ski as well. The name of which escapes me now. It's something mountain. But that's in the south east part of vermont i think burlington is in the northern part of vermont but we were up near the border where did where do we play up near the border the I, don't, I couldn't remember the name okay so it was way up near the top um and it was in august and it was 38 degrees you know but it's lovely vermont's lovely yeah brisk i just it's, remember like i don't need a coat it's you know it's late summer i'm fine <laughs> Ooh, you <laughs> need, need a little hammer jacket need a coat. from mark Mello in lowell massachusetts you need to get rufus on to talk about the annual peabody cup golf match that he plays with his brother tom Heck, maybe you can host him at Columbia. Rufus can pick up dinner. His college basketball model has been hitting at a higher rate than Carville. <laughs> Rufus is the mystery man, is yes, he not? He's the glue that holds us all together. He's the mystery man. <laughs> and from Rocky Rakovic from Jersey City, the three biggest thrills of my life are the birth of my child, hearing you call the bracket pool names last Monday, being on Chuck and Roxy episode 117. Just kidding on the last one. Greg Garcia and I share an agent. Anyway, here are the best <laughs> little brackets named from 2023. This is our 10th installment through nominative determinism mine's already busted which is why i call it q and joni's voice this brackets expired <laughs> expired expired the rest of the field yes i have a patino jim um bayman roth uh, Bay- Bay- roth Bayman roth Hyman roth uh <laughs> illinois it's humid are brackets the new game full fat 
Drew Timmy Kirkton. I prefer the Lilyhammer jacket. What are we even doing out here, Furman? Ginger goes right through me. F.A. me, no F.A.U. That's so funny. Only real upset is a 16 versus a 1. Rock, chalk, gluck. This is the Cigna read. Arizona, I'll take Arizona. I'll take a box of that. Higher seeds do wear white. Oral Roxanne Roberts. San Fran Leibowitz's kiln. Marquette the bed. Marquette the bed. I stand in the pool. Forty-two long shot. Creighton Barrel Curio Cabinet. And who is Tony? These are brilliant. They're always brilliant, right? Yes, thank you, Rocky. Yeah. Totally Love that. brilliant. All right, I, I got to get to Willis Reed. I can't not do Willis Reed. Um, as people know who listened to this show over the years, uh, Willis Reed is somebody I came to adore and love as a kid because he was the greatest Nick ever. The, the people who are going to say, well, Walt Frazier has better numbers. Walt Frazier, shut up, as Wilbon would say. Don't, don't tell me this. It was always Reed and. Okay, everybody understood. Reed was the captain long before. 30 years before, Derek Jeter was the captain. Willis Reed was the captain. My third grandson, the captain, because of Willis Reed, because his name is Reed. I will tell people who's named after Willis Reed. It's not true, but I will say that. (laughs) Um, Willis Reed was the big man on the Knicks. He wasn't as big as Will Chamberlain or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Bob Lanier. Or even Bill Walton, he wasn't as big. He was about 6'8 or 6'9, 235, 240. He was solid as a rock. Understood in the NBA he played in that the game was played outside in. The, the ball went to the center. The center made a move. These are all two-point baskets. It's a different game philosophically and strategically. It's different. So if everything's a two-point basket... Common sense dictates that, that the closer you are to the basket, the better chance you have of getting the basket. Uh, Willis Reed's on the Knicks. The Knicks, by the way, for those of you who don't follow basketball, the Knicks have won two championships since the inception of the NBA in the 1940s. They won one in 1970 and one in 73. That's it. Okay, that's 60 years, right, if you do the math. That's it. Patrick Ewing didn't win a championship. Carmelo Anthony didn't win a championship. Bernard King didn't win a championship. These are the great Knicks of all time, although I don't know about Carmelo Anthony. Willis Reed is the greatest Nick of all time. Willis Reed is in the middle when the game is played from the middle. His resume, if he needed a resume, his resume happened in the playoffs in 1969-70, that season, the first Knicks win ever. The starting five that year are Willis Reed, Dave DeBusher, and it always goes Reed DeBusher. It never goes Reed Frazier. It never goes Frazier Reed. It, that, that, it's not how it works. If you're a Nick fan, it always goes Reed DeBusher, Frazier, Bradley, Dick Barnett. That's the starting team. Phil Jackson, I believe, was on that team, or he may have been on the second team. Not that team. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. That's the starting five of the Knicks. The next time they win, it's Reed, DeBusher, Frazier, Bradley, and Earl Monroe. And you would say, wow, Earl Monroe, that's a huge upgrade from Dick Barnett. No, it isn't. Earl Monroe's a great player. He's a greater player than Dick Barnett, but Dick Barnett, in his prime with the Knicks, is a great player. He's not some guy. He's a great player, Dick Barnett. So the resume that Willis Reed builds is very simply this. In those playoffs, he gets the best of and beats Wes Unseld, who that year was the rookie of the year and the MVP in the league. At that time, they are... I guess the Baltimore Bullets. He beats Wes Unseld. Then he beats Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's a pretty good player, right? I mean, you'd say he's a pretty good player. It's all right. Then he beats Will Chamberlain, another pretty good player, the greatest offensive player of all time, impossible to stop. Willis Reed and Willis Reed's team beat them. And on the seventh game in the last series on May 8th, 1970, there is the thought that Willis Reed cannot play. He has, that's, he has a deep thigh bruise. He cannot play. And some people I know are there. I got uh, notes from four or five people, and I'll mention two of them on the air. Melman was there. Told me what seat he was in. Junior was there. Told me what seat he was in. I was there. I have no memory for what seat I was in, but I know it was in the 200s. They were in the 400s. 
they make the pregame introductions and Willis Reed is the last one out and he limps out of the tunnel and he takes off his warm-up and he starts the game. There's a roar, a deafening roar, the likes of which I've never heard in an indoor arena in my life. Not until then and not since then. This Willis Reed's going to play. First two shots of the game, he takes for the Knicks. He's lefty, takes a left-handed jump shot. You need to understand this, the way basketball was played then. It's really different than now. It wasn't as fast as it is now. It wasn't as strategic to set up a long shot as it is now. So when Willis Reed drifts out around the foul line to take these first two shots between 15 and 18 feet, you're not really expecting that. And he makes them both clean. The Knicks shared the ball better than any team I've ever seen in basketball. All five players could dribble. All five players could pass, and all five players could shoot. And again, I stress this. They would shoot the 12 to 20-foot jump shot for two because there was no three. All five could do this. You were not watching basketball as much as you were watching ballet. They all worked together. They were coached by Red Holtzman, William Red Holtzman from Cedarhurst, Long Island, um, who Phil Jackson always maintained was a greater coach than the other Red, Red Auerbach. I don't want to get into that particular debate that was Phil's deal and still is Phil's deal but Red Holtzman knew what he was doing he was a former player he was a former coach and he schooled this team to be artistic out there and they were which didn't mean they weren't tough because Reed and DeBusher were very tough if you don't know the name Dave DeBusher um, Dave DeBusher was from Detroit and he did a little thing in a couple of summers early in his career that most basketball players don't do he pitched in the major leagues Right? So he's a pretty good athlete, Dave DeBusher. He's the two-sport guy, Dave DeBusher. And they were, those two guys were very, very tough. Their rebounding was t- tremendous over the years. And they won that championship. Willis Reed did not score another point. He scored four points the whole game. It's not enough, is it? But it was the clinical definition of the word inspirational because the Knicks carried him the rest of the way. He carried them the first couple of minutes, just by being out there, and they carried him the rest of the way. And they beat a team with Will Chamberlain and Jerry West. This is not some slouch team. This is Will Chamberlain and Jerry West, who that team has, I believe, when they were together, has the longest winning streak in the history of the NBA. I'm pretty sure that's true. And that's Reed's resume, essentially. Um, Did I get to know him well? No, I mean, when I went to that game, I wasn't even working. I didn't have a job yet. I wasn't a sports writer. I mean, I went as a fan, so I'm always going to be a fan of those guys. I'm always going to be a fan of Willis Reed. Um, I did stories on Willis Reed. I got to sit and talk with Willis Reed for long periods of time. What I remember most about him is not those stories, though. What I remember most about him, and unless I'm deluding myself, and I'm sure Peter Barron, who listens to the show, can tell me if I'm deluding myself. But I think when Willis Reed was a rookie and draft pick out of Grambling, I think Willis Reed, the Knicks used to come up to Camp Kiyuma. They came up to Camp Kiyuma for a day, and they played against the campers. They didn't play against the counselors, although they could have played against the counselors because Larry Brown was one of the counselors. <laughs> you know, and he was a pretty good basketball player. He's the guy Dean Smith invented four corners for. That guy, Larry Brown. So they came up. And I always thought they came up because of Red Holtzman. Because Red lived near the owners of the camp, and they all knew each other. And Red would bring some Knicks up. I don't know if Red came up. Thought he did, but maybe not. But he'd bring some Knicks up. They did this for four or five years. Bring up the rookies and one established player. And then Willis Reed came up. Pretty sure Willis Reed came up. Uh, and that's the first time anybody saw him. And they played against the campers, which is always fun because when you're Willis Reed and you're 6'8 or 6'9 or 6'10 and you hold the ball up in the air, the campers <laughs> actually can't reach the ball. They can jump. I don't care if you got a kid who's got a 40-inch vertical and he's nine years old. He can't actually reach the ball. Um, so, I mean, that's... That's my deal with Willis Reed. And uh, the other thing I should say, and this is totally of a personal nature, but Stephen and Anita Jacobson are the dearest friends of mine over the course of my life and who are my son's godparents. In their living room in Lido Beach, they have always had, and it's 50 years at least, they have always had a portrait of Willis Reed in the middle of the living room, a big, beautiful painting of Willis Reed. That's Willis Reed had that effect. Nobody hated Willis Reed. Nobody. I mean, he was, I, I said this, I think I said this off the air. Maybe I didn't say it off the air. Maybe I said it in the Sports Center segment. 
that we all have a list as we get old. We all have a list. These are the things that I've done. These are the places I've been. This is the ranking in order of those things. All sports writers have this list because we've seen all the events. Um, Being at that game, game seven, May 8th, 1970, is on the short list for me. And Wilbon said to me, don't put Flutie on that list. This is better than (laughs) Flutie. Well, I don't know about that. Flutie wasn't a championship. Don't put Leitner on that list. This is better than that. I always thought that number one, I also have like, I don't want to go through them all, but I mean, I got Reggie Jackson hitting three home runs in the World Series. I got a bunch of things. I got Tyson fights. I got Ali fights. I got a lot of things on this list. Were you at the game six when John Wall beat the Celtics? I was not at game, the king of game six. <laughs> now, I missed that one. Sorry. <laughs> I always thought that the number one was the one that Wilbon and I were at. I always thought it was Carl Lewis racing against Ben Johnson because they were, I mean, that, the anticipation for that, that was very late in the Olympics. And the anticipation for that was just absolutely incredible. Um, but the Willis Reed game is is certainly on my list. And he was, you don't say this a lot about athletes. He had great dignity, Willis Reed. He was an enormously dignified young man, man, an older man. Came as a great shock to me to hear that he had died yesterday at 80 years old. And my thoughts, and your thoughts always are of the younger man, you know, not the older man. But... Um, but as Willis Reed aged, I mean, he became even more dignified in my eyes. And I don't think they have statues in New York. It's not like uh, the Forum. You know, it's not like L.A. Right. L.A.'s such an Aravisti city. New York's been here a longer time than that. And they don't have statues. But if they had a statue in front of the garden, he's the guy. It's not anybody else. He's the guy, Willis Reed. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Richard Justice. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Alexa Lash. She plays with Alexa Lash and the old fashions. We played her music last year, right? She sent some new stuff. She says, I have a new album that just came out last week. It's five songs, piano and strings only, titled Heartbreak and Movements. I'd love to have a couple of the songs played if you think they'd be appropriate. <laughs> Do we think they'd be appropriate? Yeah. Like you have more talent than us. <laughs> She's amazing. Alexa Lash, not fine. We'll play another song later, and she's playing in Richard Justice. And there are two things we wanted to talk to Richie about. One was the World Baseball Classic, and one was a story he wrote in Texas Monthly about how the world of basketball has suddenly and strangely descended on Texas. And I was going to start with that, but not after last night. (laughs) No, sir. (laughs) Not after last night. (laughs) No. Um, So that is, there is no other description for this. That is the perfect ending. Either way, that's if, if Trout hits it out, you know, if, if whatever happens, these are the two best baseball players in the world. And Otani comes out in relief to close the game and win it for Japan and gets Trout, I guess, on a 3 2 pitch that Trout swings through. It's a great pitch, it's a great swing. What are your thoughts as you're watching that, having covered baseball for so long? My thoughts were, I can't believe what I'm seeing. This is the moment we all wanted in this whole whole World Baseball Classic to see these two guys, the best players on earth, going at one another. And here it was with the the final game on the line. It was this whole tournament. Whatever, when baseball started this thing in 2006, whatever the goals were, the aspirations, it has so far surpassed it. It has become a showcase. And, Tony, the thing is, the players 
love it. They do. Jose, Jose Altuve suffered um, a broken thumb. He got hit by a pitch playing for, team, for Venezuela and will miss two or three months. He would not trade this experience for anything, to go play with his friends, for his country, to watch the Puerto Ricans and the Dominicans play. The, the ballparks were, were packed. The emotions in the dugouts. Mike Trout said after the game, this is the most fun I've ever had in baseball. I'm going to be back in 2026, and I'm going to bring guys with me. Um, yeah, it was. And what did, what did Otani throw? Four at 100 and then threw this Frisbee slider that just vaporized. It was a perfect ending, oh, wow, to a perfect tournament. And I, you just know the people in baseball and the players are so, so thrilled. Um, the Mexican manager, Benji Gill, had a couple of great lines. One, after the walk-off loss to Japan, he said, uh, okay, Japan advances, but baseball wins. And, and, what he told, and what he had told his players before the game, don't start complaining. You're, no one's going to get more than 20 at-bats. But those are not your 20 at-bats. Those are Mexico's 20 at-bats. That's what we're here playing for. It was, uh, it was a pretty, pretty good three weeks for baseball. I don't, I don't want to sit here and take the side of the owners. I'm not right. trying to do that. But you cannot have this discussion without what I'm going to ask you now. If you own the Mets and you're a star reliever, the guy who's going to come in there and save games for two old Hall of Fame pitchers, Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, who you don't want going seven all the time at their age. If you lose him for the whole year because he plays in the World Baseball Classic and his team wins a game and in the celebration he gets injured and he's out the whole year, if you're an owner – and you're paying the freight on all your players, do you hope, and it's only once every four years, but do you say, we got to change the date, we got to do something, we have to recognize the fact that ours is the jeopardy here? Right. I, well, there, is an, there will be an insurance policy, so the finances mm-hmm. sort of get alleviated, but that doesn't make up for the fact that you lost yeah. a, a great closer for the season. I think the way you look at it is, Every team is uncomfortable sending its pitchers. On the other hand, I think every executive in, on every club understands that this is a great showcase for the game, that there's a bigger picture here that you have to look at. And what was interesting to me after Edwin Diaz, the Mets closer, got, suffered the injury, you had other players step up. I mean, other players from every team saying, this is not going to keep me from coming. I think there were 200, three, I'm sorry, 300 major leaguers on the 20 teams. I'm going to keep coming because I love this. And I noticed and when I was around the teams, it was a sheer joy for those guys to be associated with. The TV ratings in Japan, over 50% of the TVs were tuned to the World Baseball Classic. That's what we get in the United States for the Super Bowl. That's what it's meant to people, and you have to just keep that in mind. There's a greater good for the game, and it sucks, and we're uncomfortable with it, but we're going to keep doing it. I will point out that while all the great bats played in this for the United States, none of the great pitchers played in this. How did that happen? That that happened because pitchers like to get into a routine. And when you see your pitchers out there throwing in a competitive situation, like Otani, you hold your breath because you don't want guys throwing 100 um, in March. You just don't want that. But the competitive juices take over. You know, you saw that the the Japanese kid, Roki Sasaki, threw 20 pitches the other night, 19 of them were 100. You know, it's different. He was in a different spot in terms of his his preparation. But um, that's that's just the law of it. But it will be interesting – the the tournament has become so such compelling television in the ballpark and the atmosphere. It'd be interesting to see how many pitchers are are uh, compelled to to go and and do it. Now, if you're a, a Verlander or a Scherzer, you're not. No, you're not going to do it because no. you're so routine oriented, and you're at that point in your career where you can't be monkeying around with an injury. When you're the commissioner of baseball. You work for the owners of baseball. You work for the good of the country, but you work for the owners of baseball. This is clearly on path to become the World Cup. 
yeah. something of enormous importance to individual players. It's clear that that's where it is. Right. But it can't happen without the support of Major League Baseball. If you're the commissioner of baseball, are you torn by this, or do you say, we, we're moving forward, this is it, we love this? No, no. If you're the commissioner of baseball this morning, I, bet, I guarantee you he is getting congratulatory calls from owners saying, you guys did it. And I'll never forget when they started it in 06, I think they announced it in 05, it was a joint effort from the players and the owners at a time when they didn't do a lot of things jointly. And they, they, they made a point of saying, we, we want this to be another World Cup. It has become that, yeah. and, it, and the players are engaged with it. And wow, it was uh, it was fantastic. I think the first round, the the in, uh, attendance increase was ninety eight percent. It helps have it in in Miami, you know, where you have a huge, a big Cuban population, sure. Dominican population, and you can just feel it. You know, and the World Baseball Classic has changed the game in in this way, in that the players. Team USA, let's say, would look into the Puerto Rican dugout and the Dominican dugout and see those guys celebrating and showing emotion and having the time of their lives and think, wait, what's wrong with that? Why, why can't we do some of that? And you've seen it infect every game with the, the dugout celebrations after home runs and all that. Let's, let's, let's let people know we're having a good time. Yeah, it, it really was good. I'm going to switch gears totally. Um, as a sports writer, the last place on earth I thought of for basketball was Texas. Last place on earth, honestly, of a, of a big state. Texas is football. Texas is track. Texas is baseball. Texas is not basketball. Does the state of Texas at the original draw with the 68 teams, they have like seven teams in, right? Right. And it's, um, the, the AD at uh, Texas A&M, uh, Ross Bork, told me last week, he goes, you know, we used to think of uh, – we had football and we had baseball, but we had to go inside during the winter months, so let's play basketball. But <laughs> that's just, it's just a way to kill time till we can get back outside for track and baseball. What has happened is, first of all, the high school baseball programs in Texas are phenomenal. And I think the, the coaches in the Dallas-Fort Worth area would say it's the best high school baseball. Baseball I mean, high school or basketball? Basketball, basketball in the country. I don't, yeah. That may be an exaggeration, but they're great teams. The number one player in the nation – a high school player in the nation, Trey Johnson, just played on a state championship team in the Dallas area. Um, and what is, the other thing that's happened is, what happened at Baylor, the worst scandal ever, you hire this young go-getter named Scott Drew, and he builds a great program. And yeah. it, was a reminder, it was a reminder of two things. One, basketball is on TV. College basketball is on TV all the time. It can shine a positive light on your university. And if you hire the right coach, you're going to win. Kelvin Sampson uh, had, a, had lunch with the University of Houston people while he was at the Rockets as a defensive coordinator, essentially, and just said, you can win a national championship here. You have the recruiting, cho- uh, recruiting reservoir of talent all around. But the other thing that's happened is you have to spend. University of Houston has spent $100 million on refurbishing the arena uh, and on a practice facility. Texas just opened this palace of a place to play basketball uh, A&M has the, I mean, I, I got a tour from the women's coach at A&M a couple of years ago on their practice facilities, twin practice facilities for the women and men, hair salons, you know, saunas. It's just phenomenal. And uh, t- all these schools, TCU, Texas, uh, Houston, A&M, they're all spending big money for coaches. They hired great coaches and players to, don't have to leave the state anymore. And it's, the, the interest, the Big 12 is a monster conference, uh, but it's, it has become must-watch must, must, must TV uh, in February and March to watch Big 12 basketball. I think that the Cinderella story in the entire tournament, honestly, to me, is Rodney Terry. Oh, my God. And to me, it is. I mean, this is the University of Texas. Right. They fire a coach while the season is going on because of... Domestic abuse charges. The charges are later dropped. There is no trial. He later gets hired, where else, at Ole Miss, right? Um, Which makes all the sense in the world for that school. But Rodney Terry inherits this program. Nobody knows who he is. And they can win. I mean, Texas can win, right? Yeah, he was the perfect guy. Chris Beard's a great coach. Yeah. But he is, like a lot of great coaches, he's an uptight guy. And Rodney Terry is just the opposite. You know, he had head coaching gigs before. He's the son of public school basketball and football coach and administrator. And there's a calmness about Rodney that was the perfect thing into the chaos. Players started texting each other on the morning of December 12th. 
Coach Beard's been arrested. Coach Beard is his mugshot is on television. What do we do? And he just he brought in. Now it's the, the evaluation of Rodney Terry is a little bit more difficult because they have six players that are either grad students, super seniors, or seniors. I mean, it's they have these guys like Marcus Carr that are easy to coach. It's an easy team to coach. But the love that this guy has gotten from the administration, from his players, Tony, you when you hear those guys talk about that coach, it's like a, it's like you make movies about what has happened to that team. And I talked to him last week, and he is just one of those guys that people like and people gravitate to. So they lose their star, superstar head coach. They have two five-star commitments uh, from recruits. Both those guys are solid because of Rodney Terry. And, uh, yeah, they're good enough to win it. And here we're looking at an Elite Eight matchup of Houston versus Texas. Texas. Yeah, in the state of Texas, right? It's as much fun as any uh, football game we've played around here in a long time. Yeah. No, it's, it's, again, I mean, I'm old. Texas, I don't ever associate with (laughs) basketball, and you have to do it at this point. And some of these guys, yeah, you bring in Buzz Williams, and you bring in, um, who's the kid from Pitt, who was a TCU, who's the TCU guy? Jamie Dixon. Jamie Dixon, who actually went to TCU, and it's a big-time deal. Thank you, Richie. Thank you, thank you. Thanks. Richard Justice, boys and girls, will take a break. Jeff Ma is going to join us when we return to sort of review what's happened so far in the tournament and to talk about Rufus Peabody, uh, who is the mystery man on the show. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Alexa Lash. She has an album out called Heartbreaking Movements. She's pretty good. <laughs> You'd say that, yeah. Wow. I, I'm partial to these sorts of songs. These, you know, where you start out slow and low and build yeah. like a volcano erupting. <laughs> and I just think these are great. Michael, if people like Alexa Lash want to send in their original music, how do they do so? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. And she plays in Jeff Ma. And we have Jeff Ma on because not only do we love Jeff Ma, but he can hopefully unlock the secret to Rufus Peabody. We got this email the other day from a guy who had married Rufus's sister and was talking about Rufus's brother playing golf with him. And I realized, you know, but how did you... How did you meet Rufus, and what can you tell us about his family? And then we'll talk about the tournament. Uh, I met Rufus at the MIT uh, Analytics Conference, the Sloan Analytics Conference. I don't know if you know about this, but this is a uh, conference that was started by Daryl Morey and yep. a woman named Jess Gelman, and they started it about 17 years ago, and I've been a participant in pretty much every one of them as a panelist uh it used to be a very cottage conference meaning like you know it's, it was small it was in classrooms at mit and now it has thousands of people that attend um it has you know the the most notable people like michael lewis and nate silver and um you know shane battier they're all there talking about uh analytics and its impact on sports um and for a while many of the professional sports butters would show up there almost as a networking event and so rufus and i met probably about six or seven years there ago there analytics means wilbon will boycott that he will have nothing to do with it (laughs) what started your friendship with rufus what drew him to the conference and what started that friendship yeah, I mean, Rufus has always been a guy that's like kind of seeked uh, some, you know, personal connection and relationships and things like that. And and again, like like I said, there, this was a conference that many of the sports betters would go to. They they didn't even really go to the sessions or go to the conference itself. They would just go to hang out at the bar in the hotel and try to meet. 
people from teams or big names in the analytics world. And Rufus showed up at it a couple of years, and um, I got him on as a panelist one year talking about sports betting and analytics. And they actually have, like, research papers and things like that that talk about pretty interesting different ways to use analytics to model different things in sports. This past year, they had a lot around golf. They had Mark Brody, who is the guy that created strokes gained, which is, like, the newest sort of metric on how to predict golfers. Um, and it's it's a pretty it's a pretty it's it's a pretty interesting thing for anyone trying to do analytics in the world of sports. It's always interested me in, in this regard. I, I see the value of analytics. I really do. But because I'm an old man and because I'm a, you know I'm a crustacean in terms of covering the sports that I covered, I also take into account, Jeff, that every day you step out on the field, it's different. Like that, no matter what brings you to that point. You could go out there and you don't have it that day for whatever reason. You know what I mean? I, that seems to me to be the tug that goes on between analytics and, and what you're actually watching out there. Well, analytics is not – no one who does analytics would say that it's able to predict everything in sports. Mm-hmm. And everyone would say that there are things outside of the world of analytics that dictate what happens in the game. Like the, the, That's not the point of analytics. The analytics is trying to – describe things and and actually capture things in a way that we can't as humans because we can't possibly remember everything and we're often prone to biases meaning what we see recently impacts what we're going to see or what we think we're going to see there's just all these kind of biases that our mind plays tricks on us so analyst is trying to divorce emotion from analysis of the game and make that analysis uh, more objective rather than subjective. And what was there with Rufus that you decided this is going to work? Let's do a podcast. Let's do bet the process. What do what does he bring I to mean, it? Go ahead. We're we're just very different, right? He's a professional better who's spent his whole life trying to make sense of sports from an analytic standpoint. Um, and you know the idea of being able to capture that brain and and you know talk about it in the world of sports and get a glimpse into that brain in terms of how he tries every day to beat sports from a you know from a sports betting perspective um, that was just a unique thing to to partner with me and sort of my perspective on analytics and and betting and gambling. Is he better or best at any one sport? Are you awed by him on any one sport? Uh, awed is, a, is probably a strong term, but no, he uh, golf is his thing, right? And actually, college basketball this year has also been his thing. He's working with a partner on that, and so they've done quite well in college basketball this year. And then also um, his golf, I, I think you've heard about it. it mm-hmm. It's true. He is he is the number one sports better in the world of golf. Like he literally, they ask him to. Uh, make the first lines um, for any golf matchups, and they use those lines to start like the worldwide market. So he is literally the originator of sports betting and golf. I would think that he would be crazy busy this week because you have the match play, and it's head to head. It's just different than than any other golf tournament, right? Yeah, actually, he doesn't really do much with the match play just because of the whole reason you said it. Yeah. it there's there's this sort of it's different, and it, there's just not a lot of reason to do it because th- it's only really one event. So I think he usually takes this week off of golf, um, and the, the uh, basketball stuff is kind of already done in terms of like the, the models created, so they just kind of run it. Should I be worried that his sister married an emailer? Should I be worried <laughs> about that? She, he's also, I guess, a musician, and, and Tom Peabody, who is Rufus's brother, who actually is one of his – um, betting partners who I've gotten to know is also the, he's the one that's the magi- musician mm-hmm. um, and he's actually playing I guess May 5th at the Pearl Street Warehouse in DC and he's opening for PJ's band who was the emailer which is called Vim and Vigor uh, I guess I found out that Rufus also played the clarinet growing up and was but as you could imagine had no ability to improvise and really just played by the by the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me get let me get to the to the tournament. Um, how is it how is it working out from the models so far? What has surprised you? What has not? 
Well, I mean, obviously everything is very surprising in the tournament, but I think the couple things that are pretty interesting is we had a guy by the name of Ken Pomeroy on Bet the Process yeah. uh, last week, and he's pretty much the you know become the metric or the standard. Ken Palm, for, yep. yep. Yeah, and so what he what he he had an interesting stat before the tournament, which I wish I had used to make my bracket, but it basically said that Purdue, uh, that the teams that are one and two seeds that start the season outside of the top 25, meaning the preseason top 25, any team that's a one or two seed, they, they average fewer than two wins in really? the tournament, meaning like these teams typically underperform their seed. And so the two teams that fell into that uh, category this year were Purdue and Marquette. And if you think a little bit about what, what that means, it means that these teams were not expected much of, and really it's a, it's a predictor of their actual talent, meaning that people did not think they had the talent to be very good. They, they came in from out of nowhere to play well and actually achieve a one or two seed. But this goes back to the idea of even an entire end, uh, you know, college season being somewhat of a small sample size, meaning there is some predictive value still and what they were thought to be going into the season. And so a very famous team also fell into this category. If you guys can guess who it was, it was the Virginia team that lost yeah. as a one seed. They were also a, a, not a preseason top 25 team, and they, they you know, obviously famously failed. It doesn't work 100% because the preseason number one was North Carolina, and they didn't even make the tournament, obviously. But given with that, that knowledge now, is there a team out there? Who who do you have winning and why? Well, I mean, I think the reality is that Houston is probably still the favorite. And some people think Alabama has, you know, the, the betting favorite is still Alabama. And as you mentioned, there's many reasons not to want that to yes. happen. Yes. Uh, but the reason that they're the, the favorite is because they have a very, very easy route. I actually think they may have some trouble against San Diego State, and for those of you that are betting, I like them, plus San Diego State plus the 7.5 in that game. Um, but after that, if they get through that, they basically have a very, very easy route because they play the winner of Princeton-Creighton, and then they, they're going to play that bracket where all the top seeds have kind of been ob- obliterated. So they'll have a, uh, a reasonable route. But Houston is still by far, I think, the team that people believe has the best combination of offense and defense, meaning they – um, are, are good on both sides of the ball. And you saw that against Auburn where they were down and then just took it to another level. One of the things that, you know, you need in the, in the tournament is the ability to really outperform and really step up from what people expected. And Houston seemed to do that. Obviously, there was a lot expected of them, they were, but they seemed to do that. The other two teams that are interesting, and one that I mentioned is, you know, you guys mentioned Arkansas. Uh, against Kansas, Arkansas has four guys that will likely get drafted in the NBA next year. So while it was a surprise that they beat Kansas from a talent perspective, they're a team with real NBA talent. And a lot of times you see that come out in the tournament when it didn't come out during the regular season. The other thing I would add about that game is, and it doesn't seem to be mentioned, Kansas's coach did not coach that game. They didn't coach the first two or the first one either but they had norm roberts who's a longtime assistant familiar with everybody there but he's not bill self do you think that do you think that played into it it's hard for me to believe it didn't yeah i mean i think i think it does i mean the point spreads typically don't react very much to that um, on court stuff but yeah i mean i think obviously bill self is you know you have someone over there that's been through it all right and and someone that you look to and and gives you a sense of confidence and knows how to make the adjustments so it it has to have some impact Mm. i agree so where is rufus these days is he in the united states or is he like a worldwide (laughs) guy is he operating drones or something what does he do he just traveled somewhere i forget where i think somewhere in the caribbean um he is there for like a week or two and um, he's living in New York right now um, for the, the year. Um, he has a home in uh, Las Vegas. I think he also has a place in the Cayman Islands. So, yeah, so he is Mr. Worldwide. Fantastic. I, I, I can't believe he and Wilbon don't run into each other in all these exotic places <laughs> that they go to. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Tony. Jeff Ma, boys and girls, with the scoop on Rufus. Always good to know. We'll take a break. We have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Binghamton's own Chris Ullman, the best whistler in the world. World champion. World champion, Chris Ullman. Thank you for that. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad for us, please? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say if I were a sculptor, but then again, no, or a man who makes potions in a traveling show. I know it's not much, but it's the best I can do. My gift is my song. And this one's for you. And you can tell everybody this is your song. Might be quite simple, but now that it's done, I hope you don't mind. I hope you don't mind that I put down in words how wonderful life is while you're in the world. That's the combination of Reg Dwight and Bernie Taupin. That's the first big song that Elton John ever had. And Nigel said to me yesterday, if I just give you this one line, would you know? Yeah, yeah don't worry about it. Thanks to our guests, Richard Justice and Jeff Ma. Thanks to our sponsors today, Priceline, Indochino, and Etsy. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you got the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. I was sort of hoping Jeff was going to give us insight into Rufus's thoughts on Rory's putter change. Oh, going I'm back probably. to the camera, I wonder if that might do, mean something for the Masters. I should have asked that. I just <laughs> slipped my mind. We have Rivian email. Aaron writes, greetings from Normal, Illinois, home of Rivian Motors. As the official motor coach operator of the Tony Kornheiser Show, I was driving from Chicago to University of Illinois listening to the show when the topic of Rivian was brought up. As a result of my job, I travel a lot and I'm rarely home. I spent over 300 nights in hotels last year alone. But here's what I can tell you about Rivian. They have created hundreds of good paying jobs in the community. They are using a former Diamond Star Motors factory that was a joint venture between Mitsubishi and Chrysler back in the Lee Iacocca days. That's in the 70s, maybe the 80s. The factory set empty for several years and has been brought back to life. They have a contract with Amazon to build a fleet of electric delivery vans. The vans are unique looking for sure, smaller than the typical UPS or FedEx box trucks. The Rivian trucks and SUVs are unique and stylish, but pricey in my opinion. Thanks for bringing up my hometown. Okay, from... This is from Aaron Soto. This isn't the same Aaron, though, I wouldn't think. Right? Not the same Don't think it is, not. Rivian makes the seven-seat SUV that Tony saw, named the R1S. They have a similar pickup truck named the R1T. The vehicles are amazing and best described as if the fastest Tesla mated with the most adventurous Subaru (laughs) and their offspring was wildly more impressive than either of them. These things do zero to 60 in about three seconds. It is so hard for me to believe they can do that and can off-road to places a Subaru could only dream of. They get about 300 miles of range which is plenty enough to deliver the driver into the reciprocal adoration of his children. Ownership does require being aware of strangers who appear out of nowhere to ask about the vehicle, (laughs) as I did. My worst case of this experience was arriving at a restaurant where I exited my truck, shut the door, and as I turned around to head to the restaurant, bam, some guy standing right behind me, just staring at me, (laughs) waiting to ask who makes this, just as Tony described. At least Tony lurked from a distance. If this was helpful, I'd like to be the official, unofficial Rivian brand ambassador of the Tony Kornheiser Show. And there's a Photo attached to the family, Aaron Soto, which is very, very nice. People know about this. From Justin Hardy in Spokane, Washington, and he insists not a Gonzaga fan. (laughs) Can't wait for the Rivian lady and her kids' episode on Chuck and (laughs) (laughs) Roxy. That's funny. From Catherine Kissa, or Kisa, if you'd like to know more about Rivian, watch the Apple TV Plus show called Long Way Up. Featuring Ewan McGregor and his best friend Charlie, who ride electric Harley-Davidsons from the southernmost tip of South America, Ushuaia, 
to Los Angeles. Accompanying them were their producers and cameraman in the very first Rivians off the production line in 2021. I'm going to hazard a guess that the 13,000-mile, 100-day adventure is not on your bucket list. So they've been out since 2021, and it's 2023, and I've just seen them within the last month. Yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of them. Melvin until says there's six on his block. <laughs> says there's six on his block. From Ed Butt. My son's first two cars were Subarus, but he now drives a Kia Telluride, and he has his eye on a Rivian. He is adrift. Where did I fail as a parent? P.S. <laughs> while typing this email, Baby It's You by Smith shuffled up on my playlist. Can she sing or what? If, if you can yes. just tell Alexa, right, Baby It's You, not by the Shirelles. Yeah, by Smith. By Smith. Just do that. From Vince Gay in Oak Park, Illinois, my brother works for Rivian and moved to Normal, Illinois to take the job. The cars aren't cheap, but they're a ton of fun to drive. Can I be the official little of Oak Park, Illinois? If granted this honor, I promise to rub it into the face of fellow little Kevin Cohn every time I see him eat it. Kevin. (laughs) From Michael in Rolling, North Carolina. I don't have a Rivian, but I do have a Mazda CX-5. Would you like any stories about that? I'll include my number below if you'd like to help workshop some of the ideas that I have. That's funny. Um... So those are the only ones about Rivian. Those are the only ones. So yes. Rivian is about ninety thousand dollars. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think there's. But a... it's the future, right? I mean, if it's all electric, yeah, and can go from zero to sixty in three. Now seconds. we just need the infrastructure to charge them, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, hasn't that. Tesla monopolized all of that stuff? Yeah. One more here, Andy Waters, PGA Pro, Talamore Country Club in Ambler, Pennsylvania. Okay, you familiar with it? Not me. Yes. Okay. The email about the ABCD group with the same birth date. Felt like it was meant for me as a statistics major and member of the golf team at UConn and now a PGA professional. I feel like I have all the expertise needed to answer the question posed about the odds of the four ABCD members having the same birthday. First of all, the ABC group is, group is not correlated to the birthday odds. That said, the odds of one person having the same birthday as another is one and 365.25. Can't forget leap year babies. Then you multiply those odds by two other people. So showing my work, the math is, and he goes on and on. He says, the bottom line, the odds are 48,727,112 to 1. I would ask to be the official golf pro statistician of the show if the position is open. Yes. Also, invitations are always open for Tony and Michael to play golf wherever I'm working. P.S. I worked at Philly Cricket. In 2007 and 2008, while Michael was playing at UPenn, I doubt he would remember me as we had hardly any interaction. Yeah, we usually, we usually uh, snuck out to the 10th tee. <laughs> Is that, yeah. So isn't that wonderful? So that's, I mean, 41 40, 40, so it's not a million to one. It's 48 no. million to one. But you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Can I raise a practical question at this point? Are we going to do Stonehenge tomorrow? <laughs> no, we're not going <laughs> to do Stonehenge. <laughs> In my mind, the type of life I would live I could never expect Never believe that anything good could happen to me I've been sitting with my thoughts longer than never before Meditating on mistakes Just to make room for more Imperfection is in fashion And I wear it with pride To match emotions on my sleeve Just to prove that I'm fine But I'm not fine Something is 
Is this what love's supposed to feel? 